0: Uh, Liz, I have some, uh, well, I think it's good news. You might not um, think it is. Um, okay. So the other day I got, um, well, to be completely honest with you, I got high. I got high on, on poppers and I sold our podcast <laughs> to Crime Think. I'm sorry, what? Crime Think? I sold our podcast to Crime Think. What is that? Crime Think is a uh poster company, I believe, from Olympia, Washington. That's kinda <coughs> like you know when you get to see like a cross punk guy and he's like Hey and you're always like, I wonder what that guy like thinks about politics. That's what Crime Think is. And Unfortunately, I mean well, I mean there are hosts. Oh there are owners, so I'll say fortunately. Fortunately we uh I, I did sell us to them for eight hundred dollars. <laughs>
1: So you can buy more poppers?
0: I'm the first to say my bad, yes. <laughs> but yes, no, I do have, I, I, the other bad news too, sort of what I call the secondary bad news is I, I, I did spend that $800 on poppers. No, <laughs> I don't believe you. Well, you're going to be believing me when I come by your house with a butt flap and a leather jacket that has denim also sewn onto it.
1: Look, I've known you long enough that I remember when you used to wear not Cut far the away cut from- the cut the cut the cut the intro
0: You check Liz are you home
1: <laughs> uh yes I am home okay are you up. home
0: no uh well I mean you know I've been called up so. no I'm 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 at <laughs> I'm at the station right now but like I'm off duty it's my it's my hour off <laughs> not the police station which the, station the zoo I I, I freelance at zoos Occasion. Oh yeah. I'm called. They call me the Moonlight. Apes. You Moonlight. I'm Moonlight. I'm called the. They call me the Apes' friend. I go in there. <laughs> That's and a I, terrible nickname. Yeah. Well, it's it's not catchy, but it's my job. I go in there. I hang out with them. Um, you know, make sure that they're not getting into trouble. And you know, I hang out with parakeets as well. Yeah, I do that sort
1: of like side job. But no, I'm I'm man. Side note, there was such a great rumor. Amazing. Spread like. Spread like a flash mm-hmm. I don't know Whatever Love to mix a metaphor Shine
0: bright like a diamond
1: uh, That A tiger escaped The Oakland Zoo During one of the riots That was. And I got so excited
0: Incredible it, That was probably The best
1: three hours Of my life Well I believe That to be true And then not just Like 15 minutes later They were like No All tigers accounted for <laughs> Bullshit Also we don't
0: know If they're telling the truth Yeah it was o- Oakland Police Department Right
1: yeah, those
0: guys. I, well ironically on the on the uh, on the protest live stream I did the day before, i I expanded upon my idea that protest, instead of taking place in front of city hall should take place a couple blocks from the zoo so they don't really mm-hmm. know what we're up to, and then we go in there and we spring basically
1: every animal. Oh, interesting. hmm That's like uh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to stay uh, you know. Got to keep them on their toes. Mm-hmm. It would use it's, all tactics available. Exactly. Be
0: strategic. It's uh, it's every. It's like Bastille Day, but for uh, for the noble giraffe. Well, listeners, my name is Brace. I'm Liz. We are joined here by H-Hung Chomsky, and this is Truanon. We are uh, uh, welcome. Yeah, we are in, uh, we are in. I don't know what day it is. Day something of America, America under siege. America.
1: I kind of wish we had that, like, boom, 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 like CNN, like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> crazy graphic. America, true on. America under siege. And it's just like, explosion.
0: Young Chomsky frantically taking notes here. I hope on this. Um, yeah, that would rule. Yeah. This is, I, if we were like a daily thing, just calling it like a special series, America under siege, but America's under siege,
1: um, by Americans. Yes. It's incredible. So maybe before we kind of get into, um, our thoughts on the events or event perhaps Mm -hmm. of the past week. You know, I, I think everyone is quite well aware of what's been going on throughout the country, but maybe we should just uh, run through some things. We are recording as of, it's Thursday at 7.15 p.m. Pacific uh, time. And we should say that, you know, we actually were going to record this on Tuesday, yep. but we didn't really have our thoughts together.
0: Yeah, about thirty minutes before we recorded, me and Liz got on the horn, and uh, and decided that we'd have to we'd have to push it off a couple of days.
1: Yeah, it's taken um, a minute for me, I think for both of us to like even begin to wrap our head around what's going on, which we're going to get into kind of later in the show. But before we get there, let's just say you know I think everyone is quite well aware of the situation or the the case of the murder of George Floyd. Um, and the the protests that and then riots that um, emerged out of that in Minneapolis and now've spread throughout the country um, I think
0: all fifty states and uh like there's been protests in hundreds of cities, riots in like at least a hundred and fifty
1: mm. yeah it's um you know seeing seeing the footage either you know on social media or um on the, you know, CNN 24-hour news. Now, what does Trump call it? CNN? Uh, I think he I just forget.
0: Well, there's the Clinton News it, Network. But I don't know if he calls I it know, that. I know
1: that one's I don't think he calls it that anymore. It's, always, it's usually probably just like lying CNN yeah. or something lazy. It's stupid. Anyway, uh the footage has been pretty incredible and obviously, you know, um there's some work going on there. But For me, talking to a good friend in Minneapolis last week was, I mean, hearing what's going on there on the ground is pretty uh, shocking. Yeah. Um, You know, it sounds like they're estimating about 55 million close to damage. At one point, my friend had to form a, like, militia, basically, with everyone in his building. He lives about four blocks from where Floyd was killed to give you a sense of kind of where he is in the the city. His entire neighborhood is torched, burned down. Um, But they had to form a militia and go on like our patrols of their building uh, to keep it safe. They had bathtubs full of water in case of fires, Mm -hmm. buckets everywhere. Um, And, you know, everyone's just sort of thrown in this situation. It's quite, it's, it's, mind-boggling yeah it's 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 insane and this has spread of course
0: to other cities here i mean i'm talking to you from san francisco and san francisco is is probably one of the major cities that kind of that's kind of hit least by any of this certainly on the west coast i mean la had really um really large protests that that turned pretty quickly into riots seattle too i'm i i haven't really checked in on portland but i also assume portland Unlike those cities, uh, San Francisco didn't have torch cop cars, but we did have a couple of nights of um, fairly limited, uh, you know, like store break-ins downtown um, and, and some protests where there were, there were like, I don't think they, I, I can't remember the last time they used tear gas in San Francisco, but there were mass arrests and we had an 8 p.m. curfew that actually just got listed, lifted last night. Um, after a
1: few yeah, days. I went. I was out in Oakland last night and um, there was a curfew, but the cops didn't enforce it at all, which kind of seemed to be, I don't know what was going on with the Oakland PD. It, obviously, that was a choice they made. But at a certain point, the whole thing, the whole event just turned into like a huge block party. Um, yeah, I saw the hyphy. Kind of how Oakland always does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not the case in New York. Nope. As of right now, the cops are doing – so it's like 10 p.m. in New York. They're doing mass arrests in all boroughs. I just saw footage from the Bronx. They're arresting legal aid. They're arresting reporters. They're not making any distinctions. The NYPD is uh, doing what the NYPD does best. <laughs>
0: yes. classic NYPD.
1: Yeah, um, and they there was a judgment today – Uh, New York courts that actually now the NYPD can keep anyone detained for over 24 hours. Uh, The judge said it's a crisis within a crisis. Uh, And that goes for Brooklyn, the Bronx and Manhattan. So, um, and he kind of used COVID, uh, as a as a reason for that, which is interesting, but the NYPD was petitioning to hold protesters for over 24 hours, and so now they will be doing so. And they're not, um, you know, it's peaceful protesters for the curfew. It's also looters. It's anyone in between. Yeah, it's just anyone. I, I,
0: one thing that's been sort of uh, extraordinary about what's going on right now is that a lot of courthouses are closed, right? And so right, right, right. People-
1: they have been doing like digital arraign- arraignments, exactly,
0: which is which has been. Um, I mean, it's. Certainly unique to this situation.
1: But yeah, I mean,
0: New York, it's, it, it looks just incredible. And there's, been a, there's sort of been these back and forths with the Blasio and Cuomo. Um, you know, I don't think... Did they send in the National Guard there yet?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I mean... I'm not... NY, to be honest, NYPD is probably better equipped... No, I think that that's what Trump was. Trump was antagonizing Cuomo for not calling in the National Guard. Well, yeah. From my understanding. I mean,
0: to sort of enlarge that, the response from both, like, state governments and the federal government has been pretty extraordinary, too. I mean, Minneapolis Mm. called in the National Guard first. I believe a bunch of other places. D.C. has the actual military in it because, obviously, they don't have a National Guard and a bunch of other sort of uh, unmarked
1: units. Friends of the military. I think people finally
0: figured out that these there were but there was a bunch of photos that went around of guys in just like black with no nothing on their on their uniforms. Actually no, it wasn't that guy. People figured out there was other like riot cops from the Bureau of Prisons, which makes sense. I think it's called the sort team mm. that they have. But there were other photos that emerged of guys who looked like what we in the business call operators. <laughs> Uh, basically, anybody who has what they call a mag dump patch, a pouch uh, attached to their leg, is uh, is
1: technically. What is that? It's like
0: when you dump your mag for. It's like, you see this? Oh
1: no! It's like here we go. You
0: dump. You take the mag out and you put it in your fucking uh, in the pouch. Your cargo. Exactly. Shorts. It's leave no trace.
1: No, it's it's so you can keep the mag. <laughs>
0: It's yeah. It's like adding cargo shorts to your military fatigues.
1: I think they were also all wearing Under Armour, and I gotta say, Under Armour—that's the brand that's the of brand. the PMC. Absolutely, absolutely. That is yeah. Private Military <laughs> Contractor, by the way. Uh, but not to get your PMCs it's confused. It's been really
0: extraordinary to see the 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 sort of rhetoric around the response too, because famously, right after uh, you know the protests sort of turned, took an aggressive turn in Minneapolis. Uh, the mayor of Minneapolis, the I, I believe the governor, uh, attorney general, all started blaming the riots on outside agitators, and at the same time, we saw that same response from the federal government. But both were blaming sort of different sides. Uh, the 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 mayor of Minneapolis, who first name I can't remember. I want to say his name is James Frey, but that's the million little pieces guy.
1: That's yeah. That's now,
0: That's I think it's Jacob Frey.
1: Uh,
0: he uh, he was blaming famously white supremacists and mm. uh just sort of or what was it not organized crime uh it was cartels and then you had trump who was blaming antifa which i thought both mm. of these were pretty extraordinary i mean it, it's it's i think a lot of people watching tv were like are there really like that many nazis instigating <laughs> this protest
1: well yeah so all right, let's get into this. I have a couple thoughts on that. One, it wasn't ju- I mean, that narrative, uh, the, the kind of media class and then the assorted politicians, you mentioned Trump and the mayor of Minneapolis, but then, I mean, really like- AOC. Everyone. AOC, Elon Omar to Tucker Carlson to whatever. I mean, you want to see solidarity in mm-hmm. the- politician in media class. Here we go. Because they latched onto this narrative so quickly. And it's really, I think one really important. Okay. So let me back up for a second. We don't really know how we're doing this episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we kind of want to try to stay as organized as we can, but there's so many fascinating um, or, or an important kind of facets to not just what's happening on the ground, but the response, yeah. and part of that is understanding like what the media and its associated like organs, including social media, are mm-hmm. doing, and what their role is in its relationship to an, a political, properly political event, yes. which I think we can call this capital E. I would say. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. So when we think about the role of the media here, like I want to kind of, you know, stress this because the media here acts, what their job is, is to, and the associated people involved, which we can get into, but the is to basically attach themselves parasitically Mm -hmm. to this political event and through a kind of like sucking off of its energy... (laughs) defang it right denude it and filter it back through its own individualized lens to feed a narrative back to the Mm. masses right and that's its kind of role so what you see here with what it's you know the emergence so quickly of this outside agitator which by the way we should note there's a reason why this narrative works for both like Talk about horseshoe I mean, theory. God. It's Bernie bros and Antifa or it's white supremacists, mm-hmm. right? And depending on which side, if you're blue or red, you get to pick which one of those works. But it's the same And then sometimes, narrative.
0: I mean, that's the main narrative, but then sometimes both sides also, like, they, they can blame. It's, it's like the main enemy for Trump is Antifa, and then Bill Barr also talks about Boogaloo people. And then on the reverse, you have, you know, uh, I can't fucking... The guy who wrote Million Little Pieces talking about boogaloo people, but then also blaming, like, to a lesser extent, Antifa, right?
1: Right, right. And they kind of work in concert mm-hmm. together. Synergistic. Yeah. So that came out almost immediately. And that has been the kind of go-to narrative that – and, you know, it's really fascinating because it, what it also does is it creates this sense of this kind of mythical – there is a peaceful version of this. There is a, this, there is the, a correct version of this that we all, that we all good liberals approve mm. of. If only it weren't for this outside agitator coming in to corrupt yeah. it. And that's very problematic for a lot of reasons, not least of which is the very bizarre racial lens that that's filtered through. And, and the
0: through. weirdness that it's reversed because it's usually the corrupting other black infecting mm. like the white You know, pure white thing. Right. But in this case, it's reversed.
1: Yes, it's the magical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, You know, image. Yeah, yeah. It's all very strange. And then, you know, and then, you know, accompanying that, what you have then is the other kind of professional class that is then using this to their own ends and for their own careers. And so you have, okay, well, if you want to understand what's going on, you must, you got to read my book, you got to watch this show, you've got to consume. All of these important things, in order to understand, and all of these serve all these different purposes. But the main purpose is basically to neuter and and um, you know, distill what really is like a very um varied and complicated political rage that's throughout the country. Absolutely.
0: Okay, so... We talked about the murder of George Floyd, and I think something that was really stood out to a lot of people, myself included. I, I, watched the, I always watch these videos, and then it's not—I should just read the thing on them. It's not a—I don't like watching them. Um, but uh, the cop was kneeling on George Floyd's death. I mean, usually you hear about these things, you no, know, someone—a police officer shoots someone who's unarmed or whatever, but made this one sort of more notable— is that the policeman kneeled, uh, kneels on his neck for about almost nine minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. thro- a few of those where I think he's actually dead. Uh, and that symbol, I mean, that's, that's very powerful right there, right? Like a, a white sort of agent of the state kneeling and killing someone with a kneel. Like that, that, that knee on the neck image is extremely powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, not to like... Uh, sound like Zizek or anything, but I do think that like it is not a coincidence, but rather a perfect example of the way the you know, state apparatus and the way that capital structures uh, basically absorb and repurpose a, a critique or something, right? So you have this horrifying image, and now what we have are Um, Throughout these sort of like liberal protests in the country, images of cops kneeling, but in solidarity with the protests, trying to evoke Kaepernick. So you have that very powerful image of a man with his knee on another man's fucking neck to the point of killing him, now completely and rendered utterly meaningless, and now it's it's just you know collective property throughout the nation that's basically you know owned by Nike at this point mm-hmm. of of everyone getting on there knee- i mean it's it's perverse, it's almost maddening, it makes me feel sick. I don't want to see a bunch of cops kneeling as if this is a no the point is that you did kneel yeah like
0: you, you, you killed someone by kneeling,
1: and it's this it's this
0: it's this, it's this especially. A lot of times when the, I, I, I've, I've read reports of cops doing this and then basically immediately and by immediately I mean within either 10 minutes or the next day, whatever, attacking those protesters. And then in some cases, cops kneeling to get the protesters closer and so they can attack. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's it's this image is serving this purpose of of basically reinforcing the image of the knee on the ground, the policeman's knee, the blue, knee in blue cloth. Uh, and and basically just like shooting at you scattershot. And so your, 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 your perception of the image is so schizophrenic mm-hmm. and all over the place that you don't really, you don't know what to think about it, right? And so it strips the original extremely powerful image of its power as much as possible.
1: Yeah. And absorbs it back into itself. Mm-hmm. And that's
0: like, that's happening on many, 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 many. Many different levels of these protests,
1: yeah, and I think that's what's been, and I think that's what really you know not to like bring it back to us, but I do think that that is what why we kind of needed some time before we recorded an episode about this, because you know, I think there have been a lot of uh, takes mm-hmm. there's takes everywhere lots and of takes. and. A a lot of hot takes, or not even that hot, really, but kind of just really either, you know, knee-jerk reactions on all sorts of sides. And um, I haven't found any of it particularly useful or interesting. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, on the one hand, and we can talk about this, but you have a lot of people calling this, you know, embryonic of a revolution, setting aside the fact that we know that that is an inappropriate metaphor for the Imperial core, but that whatever.
0: (laughs) Um, Also just literally not happening.
1: Well, yeah. I mean that as well, but uh, you know, so you've, you've, you've got that kind of, you know, those, those takes, which uh, you know, and then on the flip side of that, you have the kind of equally, um, uh, you know, equally uninteresting, takes that are just completely dismissive, right? Mm. Um, And I just haven't found anything or anyone really sitting down and, like, taking stock of what's going on. I mean, I think that, I I don't know, I'm still like, we take this time, but we, you know, now we're not making sense. I think that, like, you know, when you are, when we're confronted with moments like this, we could I, I hesitate to use the word conjuncture, but you know, with we'll call it an event, a political event, a properly political event yep you know the the whole point is that these reveal contradictions at work within the system, yeah, right, And there are a lot at work, and we're going to talk about that, but you know our job in in analyzing and kind of reading the situation is to pull out and work through what is, what are the contradictions that are being revealed to us? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I think that that is much more interesting than the kind of moralizing I'm seeing about whether it's good, whether it's bad. Um, you know, <laughs> at a certain point it just is.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly.
1: And, and, and,
0: and it, like, I think a lot of people need to remember. I mean obviously not, a lo- not everyone who listens to this show is like a Marxist, but if you are a Marxist, the point of <clears throat> like one of your roles in, in these sort of situations is is to to take you know concrete stock of what's actually going on mm-hmm. and not to not to be a moralizer. I mean, if there's
1: anything that a Marxist is not, it's a moralizer um, <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I think, too, it's like, you know, we ought to be very clear that capitalism will continue to produce these events, Mm -hmm. right? And that these events, therefore, have roots within the capitalist system. And it's, you know, these roots are understandable, they're interesting, and it's our job to figure out and identify what these are. But you also, at the same time, have to be very clear And keep your nerves about you that there aren't any shortcuts in society and changing to change society. Right?
0: Well, I think it's like when people, like when the yellow vest started happening and people Mm. thought it was like a quasi revolution. Uh, And it was not, it couldn't have been.
1: Right. And and I think we we were talking earlier about the indignados. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think that's something that's notable is that that the past 10 are like, you know, it's not perfectly within a decade, but maybe a little more years. Uh, all across sort of the West and and actually <laughs> pretty much all across the world, uh, there have been these sort of mass social movements that have produced a lot of people in public spaces, oftentimes camping there in the cases of indignados. Uh, French. If there are any uh, French people listening to this, my bad for this one, Nuit de Buit. Oh, my God, no. Nui Debu. Nui Debu. Anyways, Ignignados, uh Nui Debu, uh, Occupy Wall Street, you know, Tahrir Square, uh, although that got a little further than most other ones, um, you know, Arab Spring, etc. You had these giant movements of people in public spaces that were really di- diverse and um Sometimes, like almost incomprehensible coalitions, basically, mm. uh, that, that had a lot of, um, let's say, differing opinions within them.
1: Uh, yeah, I remember with the Indignados, I remember reading their manifesto. I can't remember what year that was. Uh, it was very broad to the point of being not a manifesto.
0: Yeah. And for those that don't know, the Indignados were in Spain and it was kind of like a, uh, you know, to make a lazy conspa- comparison, it was it was fairly similar to Occupy Wall Street. And I think uh, Podemos came out of it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what happens a lot also with these with these mass you know social movements or whatever is oftentimes a political party will either come out of it or slightly precede it and get bigger because of it. In America, this happens sort of in reverse. Um, well, actually, it didn't happen in reverse. We had Occupy Wall Street, and then the Bernie campaign came along a little later. And those things aren't, like, literally directly linked. Like, Occupy Wall Street people, the Adbusters CEO didn't fucking convince Bernie Sanders to run for president. But they are linked, uh, let's say, dialectically.
1: Well, I do think Occupy actually is very linked to Bernie because the the movement leaders, if you want to call it that activists that emerged out of occupy they uh, initially uh, petitioned they wa- they petitioned Elizabeth Warren to run Oof. and she declined, and so they went to Bernie Sanders so actually, there really is a direct line there I was su- um, and it, it is worth you know, I think I tweeted this a while ago, but i you know people should sit and think hard, I think, about what it means that w- the people that emerged out of Occupy Wall Street wanted to draft Elizabeth Warren. I
0: will say, basically every leader... And to be clear, when Occupy Wall Street was happening, I was occupying basically every uh, single person restroom in San Francisco and shooting smack in it. So I was not present for <laughs> Occupy Wall Street. And I was taking uh, methamphetamine and, and and reading. So I was getting smarter, but I was not at these protests. Uh, I was I was busy... I will say every leader that seemed to come out of it turned out to be a fucking psycho or like an axe. People you throw around the word grifter a lot. Some of these guys are real grifter. I mean, I'm even talking Mm. about like Cassandra Fairbanks, Tim Pool, all these fucking weirdo psychos. Uh, Was that Malcolm Gladwell fucking guy? I can't remember his name.
1: Oh, wasn't it Malcolm something? I
0: don't know. None of my fucking business. Isn't he? He's like a Davos now or some shit. Who gives a shit? Uh, Anyway, none of these people are like, (laughs) what I'm saying is none of these protest leaders could really last. And that seems to happen a lot with these sort of social movements. But- Yeah, because they build and reward careerism. Yeah. And so I think one thing that like, I notice from a lot of these, these movements is the absence of, there are parties sometimes that emerge out of them, but they're parties that try to capture that diverse coalition, which basically Mm. ends up being like a midpoint between center left and far left, right? Like in the case of Mm. Podemos, uh, I'm going to include Syriza in here, even though it's not really, you know, you could, It's it's a little different. Um, Uh, You know, a lot of these parties couldn't get more than 20 percent, which obviously matters in a much different way uh, in a parliamentary system than it does in the sort of electoral system that we have. But they they reached a certain level uh, electorally and they couldn't get past it. In the case of Syriza, they did get elected into government and then proceeded to sell the people of Greece out uh, pretty much every day, all day until they were (laughs) voted out. Um, And, and, you know, I'm not... you know, I'm, I'm saying this right here, but, like, I don't exactly know what should be different. I do know one thing is that—and this, sort of, this is sort of my takeaway from all this, from, from, from the events in the past we're talking about, from the events that we're talking about right now—is uh, the need for, like, a party of and for the working class explicitly, um, mm. which has not really been the case most places. Most, most, most of these parties sort of try to capture, like, a left— coalition which doesn't really work out for them it's like social movements built into political parties which i don't think really is 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 um effective i mean it's obviously proven not to be well it hasn't
1: been at all yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i
0: mean this is we basically i mean the the with bernie sanders losing the last nail in the coffin of kind of uh mid-left populism has been nailed in right? Like there's no other movement Mm. in any other country that, that I can think of at least that really is, is going for that same thing that these past 10 years have shown us.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, sorry, I know that's a little off topic.
0: I just, I got onto
1: it. No, it's not at all. I think it's important because I do think when we, you know, I I think a little bit later, we're going to kind of talk about predictions, but our sense of, what this is and what we're seeing. But before we get to that, I do want to, you know, I mentioned that, you know, these moments reveal contradictions that are important to kind of tease out. And for me at least, um, you know, I I think that there are like one of the biggest contradictions that I've seen is that, you know, the police are completely, are totally brutal, Mm -hmm. but also completely incapable of handling this moment. Yes. Like, and so what you have is like a police force that like cannot handle what's going on in like in any major city. And that's a really significant long-term development that I really haven't seen a lot of people highlight
0: um, I mean, it was amazing how quickly the National Guard was called into a lot of these cities. I mean, relative to how long it's been going yeah, on. Yeah, but
1: also, you know, at the same time, like, again, these institutions, you know, okay, the National Guard, look, the National Guard, a lot of people are talking about 68, and they need to stop because this is not 1968, and there is a myriad of reasons First of all, you're that. all
0: dressed like shit.
1: Well, least of which is that, you know, we are in a sustained decline of capital returns and 65 was like the height of global capital returns. But God forbid anyone look at the fucking world economy. Anyway, um, no, but this is not the National Guard of 68. Like this, you've got a National Guard that is a bunch of fucking dentists and, you know, part-time substitute teachers. They are not, they do not know what they're doing out there.
0: The National Guard were literally mistaken for child soldiers. And I watched that video many times over and over and over. And I'm like, still to this day, there's no way that wasn't a 14 year old.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a real, it's really unclear. Like, you know, the idea that they are this like ace in the hole is, it's like a very weird, uh, uh, you know, I invest you you know, some kind of like memory. I, I don't believe that that is the case when you look at, again, when you actually look at what's going on here. I mean, the US Army, if they deploy the military, which, you know, I don't know if that's really, if that, that's going to happen or not. You know, the US Army, again, is like fucking, well, I don't know, 60% mercenaries, and 40% 18-year-olds hopped up on various forms of methamphetamine. Mm. Like This is also not the U.S. Army that was a volunteer army, by the way, in the 60s. It
0: wasn't a volunteer army. I mean,
1: not a volunteer army. It was a fucking draft. You know what I'm saying.
0: Which also brings me back Um, to my point, bring back the draft, but I'll save that for another episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, but so in addition, you know, so we've got like you know that's like a stark reality of kind of you know the U.S. state and where it's at and certain you know with certain institutions. On the flip side of that, we you know in the backdrop of this, we've got you know on the low end thirty percent unemployment, on the high end forty percent unemployment. So the idea that a during a hot summer. Mm-hmm. This is not. This has never been the case. You've got some people ris- getting paid better by unemployment than they were previous. So they're getting paid to be out in the streets for a thousand dollars a month. This is a rich irony because I love the right calling that Soros is paying all these guys. It's like no bitch, Trump. Yeah, yeah exactly. And the, I they increase those unemployment benefits. I baby. mean,
0: the, the the like immediate spark for this is very like pretty blatant and obvious. People have been inside for several months. They've been watching everything go to shit. Everything everybody yeah. know is out of work. Uh, and I'll tell you what, people want to see their friends. People want to get out there in the fucking summer. And everybody's wearing a mask. That's something. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's the... the I got a lot of theories on how this is going to fuck up everyone's socially after this. Not the, not the protests or riots, but the mask thing. But I, I think that like can't be discounted. Is that it's not just like the troublemakers or whatever wearing masks, it's everybody, and so I think that mm. makes people feel a lot more able for lack of a better word
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think like those are the immediate i mean obviously um the murder of George Floyd was like a match to a yeah. flame, right? but I think that we've got it you know there are deeper uh Historical and social forces here that are also worth teasing out. I mean, the immediate, you're, I think you're correct about the immediate, um, you know, like kindling, basically. But you've got, you know, we're going on 40 years now of a like continued collapse in all faith in any institution to change anything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You've got, A completely hollowed out, uh, you know, core periphery. I mean, what we would, what you'd call the periphery, but is actually in the core of the country, like
0: like black neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods.
1: Yeah, I mean, every you know, just a complete and total um, destruction of all social welfare in this country. it's, it's,
0: It's ironic that that, like, I mean, if you are like a poor person in America. The sort of arm of the state you're dealing with. Well, first of all, you've probably got like a cousin in the military, um, but the arm of the state that you're dealing with most of the time is either you're on hold for fucking food stamps or winning in line for fucking food stamps, which sucks ass or and you're or you're trying to argue to not get thrown off them, which, by the way fucking happens all the fucking time people i got thrown off a food stamps a million times for no fucking reason and just had to call and wait forever to just get back on them uh but the thing that you're dealing most in in person with is the police
1: yeah yeah you know they're basically the connective tissue of any kind of social like they basically are the social fabric of a lot of neighborhoods. Yeah, now.
0: absolutely, absolutely, and it's and it's the it's sort of the finger of the state that that is that most constantly strokes your chin, right? Like you don't really meet anybody else. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think too. Um, you know, I'm also a little shocked how little attention is being paid to the the pandemic being in the background, and I don't mean as like a threat. I mean that's this kind of separate. Separate thing that we don't need to get into, but I mean, as like, um, you know, the response from the response from the feds or you know the federal government down through to the governors down through the to the municipalities has eerily mi- mirrored, and I think for a reason, their response to COVID, yeah. which has been a complete and total disaster, I think unequivocally. And has been this sort of like half uh, lockdown, but it's unclear. Uh, half-assed. Oh, we're opening. Oh, we're not. No communication. And we're seeing that again as they, you know, these governors and mayors try to figure out how to get a fucking handle on their city and also their police yeah. force, and they're incapable of doing so.
0: They can't really right? believe they're the protesters, and that's or another. The
1: yeah, and that's another really important thing to talk about. Like, I don't want to give the impression that I think the U.S. state is weak. It's not so much that as what we're seeing is like, I, I, I mean, the government is completely incapable mm-hmm. of actually taking care of anything, Absolutely. like on an organizational level. Like on, a, you know, it does not have the capacity to do that, and like, I think that has been shocking for people who want the riots to end. I think it's been shocking for the people in the streets. I think it's been shocking even to the people in government. Maybe they didn't even realize it themselves, you know? So it's like the, again, people compare, you know, I want to stress this again because people comparing this either to Occupy or Ferguson or 68, or, you know, I've seen 92 riots or Watts, the Watts rebellion. Like, I don't, None of, that is a pro- doesn't, like, none of that takes into account where we are actually at and what's going on within the organs of the state and then also what we're seeing manifest, Absolutely, right? Yeah. We have, uh, you know, I mean, not to like freak anyone out, but this is what, you know, and I don't mean this in a freaky way, but it's like you've got a historically unpopular and divisive president. You've got people... Yammering on about there being a prospect of a contested 2020 election. We're in election year, mm-hmm. by the way. You've got intense and increasing political polarization and, and factionalism, and then micro factionalism within those factions. You've got complete and total widespread economic devastation. We're talking 30, 40% unemployment and a 20 to 25% contraction in GDP. This is, a, this is unprecedented. Yep. You've got the half-implemented lockdown from a global pandemic. You've got U.S. continuing to agitate with China, right? You've got nationwide protests, riots, clashes with police, clampdowns, threats of further and more severe crackdowns, widely, widely televised and throughout social media images and videos of just fucking brutality against civilians. Incredible. and you've got, within two months, we've got 100,000, more than 100,000 Americans I dead. I mean, it, it, to include on in that, there's been at least, I think it's 10, but probably
0: more by now dead because of these protests, too. People, Ten yeah, people, I mean, people, yeah. uh, some of those, it's a little unclear exactly if it was involved in the protest, but definitely some of those people shot by either looters, shot by the police. I mean, it's... it's It's happening, baby. Like, this is phase three. This is the beginning of phase three.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I just, you know, I'm really, like, hesitant. You know, everyone saying they know what this is is, um, you know, I I don't know how to take that seriously. Well, I mean. I I think on a couple
0: levels, it's like, and it's kind of ironic that we're like trying to analyze this by saying it's basically impossible to fully analyze right now because it is. We don't know how this is going to end up. I do think that like there are some very obvious and I think pretty much glaring probably to anybody who listens to this structural problems that these this I mean for lack of a better word protest movement run into. Um, But you know, there's people who say all oh, this is going to end up in a further crackdown from police or this is going to end up with you know police being defunded anywhere but like that is just an immediate after effect we won't actually be able to see the real like the the actual dialectic the big dialectic going on for a while here um and like it is it is you know it's it's it is sort of incredible that this is basically all going on with essentially no core organization behind it right like blm black lives matter mm-hmm. as an organization is is basically like not a presence in a lot of places i don't know i don't know about other places but certainly not really here and there's no like political party calling for these protests there's no you know social group behind any of them I, and and so you know you do run into some limits there right like it's impossible to make mm-hmm. like a singular demand or a list of demands. You can only have individual actors or more likely actors, certain actors banded together that make demands. But, but just like the, the, the yellow vests. And I, again, I don't think this is a totally apt comparison. I don't think that these protests are like the yellow vest protests, whatever, just in this specific way. Uh, you know, you're going to have people make, pro, like make demands and then other people, say those demands aren't good enough. And then people say that they are, you know what I mean? Like there's going to be, there's no core organization mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. can do this because there's no, like we were talking about me and Liz talking on the phone for a while earlier about this kind of stuff. And I think that has to do with so many factors. One of them being basically just the extreme depolitization, uh of uh, politicization of uh mm. Americans. like
1: Yeah. Uh, Sheldon Wolin has a really useful term for this, I think. And he started developing it in, I don't know, like I want to say the 90s, but really it kind of came into its, uh, you know, or or it became a kind of thing everyone was talking about during the Bush administration. And he called it inverted totalitarianism. And I find it very useful because basically what he talks about is that, you know, what you see in America – particularly again after 911 which is you know an important important moment um you you see the kind of totalitarian the typical totalitarian um structure kind of invert itself in you know in American politics so you have what rather than a totalitarian state requiring that a uh, that a people be completely and totally mobilized Mm -hmm. at all times, the inverted totalitarian state requires all people to be demobilized at all time. So you see that in, you know, what people typically call political apathy or 50, you know, 42% or whatever of the population just showing up to vote, right? That and then you know that it, it that basically the um, complete hollowing out and we should be clear like complete raiding of of um, American institutions uh, and the corporatism that 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 kind of ends up in uh, that a, a, a big part of that uh, system or a big requirement of that system is to have a population that is depoliticized, that is demobilized, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and I find that to be a useful term. I wonder if what we're seeing is less that situation right now, but perhaps a reaction or a rebellion against it, which is kind of something interesting to tease out. Yeah, I mean, about. it's it's... it's-
0: I will say that there was a different feeling at these protests. So I've been to three of these protests so far. Uh, I think we've, we've all been to some. Um, you know, Liz in the East Bay, me and Eric Chomcy here. Uh, and I went, to, I went to one on Saturday, one on Sunday, and then one yesterday. And the ones on Saturday and Sunday were much smaller than the one I went to yesterday. The one I went to yesterday had something like, they estimate 30,000 people. I will say... Crowd estimates, in my opinion, are mostly bullshit. Nobody can do it. Um, But, you know, it's estimated between ten and 30,000. So, I don't know, maybe 20,000. And the other ones I went to probably had a couple thousand people at them. But the ones I went to on Saturday and Sunday had an aggression to them that I hadn't really felt at other protests. uh, Certainly not in the, the recent past. And certainly not in that scale, on that scale, rather. I mean, mm. there were there were people that were ready to fight, and I, I don't know what it was, if it was the mass thing. I think it was sort of just this general fever everybody's caught up in, um, but it felt aggressive, which felt good. I'll be honest. It felt good because I think a lot of people who are sort of politically conscious— you know, go around moping and wondering to themselves like, why isn't everybody as mad as me? Um, you know, it's like the old fucking refrain you hear from everybody. And it's, you know, it's a good question. I mean, I think the answer is that Americans are probably the least, uh, class conscious people in the entire world. Um, but, uh, this felt good because it did feel like everybody was mad and, you know, and ready to, the Mm. problem is, is that we can get mad all we want. Um, but aside from you know destruction uh, aside from you know fighting the police, both of which you know again, I'm not here to make a moral judgment, you know some destruction's good, some destruction's bad i I, I hate the police, and so fighting the police i'll never <laughs> I'll never scold you for that, but it's it's not gonna like, like again, this brings back to the people we we're talking about who were... I, these calls have mostly stopped now. I think this might have been just people caught up in the moment, maybe, you know, crowd fever, whatever. Like, this won't be, and it can't be, a revolution because there's, there's no cohesiveness that, like, even a hint of the cohesiveness that is, that is necessary for that. So mm. this is more like a revolt than, than a revolution.
1: Yeah, I mean... You know, I think there's a couple things I think there is some a bit of what i mean i you know I'm of both minds here like like we said, we were talking for a long time, and I have both like optimistic and pessimistic takes that we can kind of get into later, but like, um, I do think that perhaps it's worth recalling um you know. You know, Lenin has the term adventurism, which is really more about individuals than it is about a collective. But Adorno kind of, you know, his you know grumpy (laughs) grumpy old man Adorno, in his um, critique or or, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's in Reflections, is the essay, but it's about sixty eight, and he kind of coins the term actionism and. I think that that is perhaps something useful to kind of understand here. What is it, baby? Um, Tell it to me. Um, I mean, I don't want to get like too into like theory stuff or whatever, but, you know... Hey, welcome to TheoryCast!
0: <laughs> On Grad Student Nation. Sorry, I had to, I had to no. do the fake radio joke.
1: <laughs> but I do think it's a useful concept. Um, I do. I, you know, I think that basically he was bemoaning um, people criticizing those who were calling for actually the need for more theory, for more thinking. And, you know, we mean in the classic distinction between theory and praxis, right? Not in terms of like um, kind of how we would talk about it, right? Or like, you know, a modern conception, I think, or contemporary conception of it.
0: I just, I love saying, um, I love saying doggos are praxis, Liz. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, but the whole idea is that actionism is like action, like it's action for action's sake, yeah. and it's demanding action now, and it's criticizing those who don't take action immediately and without thought. And basically, um, he says that he says that it's regressive and that it's actually reactionary. In pose. he says. Um, let's see. What? Uh, People locked in desperately want to get out. In such situations, one doesn't think anymore or does so under fictive premises. With an absolutized praxis, only reaction is possible and therefore false. And I think this is like a very important, I, I like that term a lot, absolutized praxis. I think one of the features of our contemporary life Sorry, I'm, like, going all over the place. It's okay, Hopefully baby. Hopefully people like that.
0: So this is a – we can just call this special episode and no one will get mad at us.
1: That's true. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think one of the kind of, like, contemporary or features of, like, uh, I don't know, this moment, and it has been for this while, is that, like, we basically live in, like, um, perpetual crisis, yeah. right? And so – part of that is the way that we consume media and that what's fed to us from, you know, different structures of the state and that everything is so hollowed out. All of this plays in, but we're like constantly in this perpetual crisis that's constantly changing. And what that um, demands is then perpetual action. And it gives, it, it doesn't allow people or really, I mean, you know, it doesn't allow people time to take a step back and say, Okay, you know, what's going on? What are we actually witnessing? what do we what does it mean strategically? and what what can we kind of pull out here that might um, inform us so that we can think harder and better about what comes next, right? So, I think part of a of a serious part of beginning a serious left project, right, is is not only, it, you know, is being honest about understanding the forces at work mm-hmm. that limit our power, but without abandoning our responsibility to change the world. And you can hold both of those things at the same time, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. I
1: think that, um, you know, a lot of that work begins in analysis rather than action. And I'm not, I want to be clear that like, I'm not, again, like I don't, I'm not, I don't think any of this is bad. I think it's, I, I'm just trying to, to kind of take stock of what's going on. And I think that everyone should kind of be doing that, right? Yeah. I, I think that one of the best uses of the moment is not to kind of utilize it to our own ends to simply reaffirm things we already believe and therefore insulate ourselves from critique, right? Because in a a state of perpetual crisis, that also demands not just perpetual action, but then perpetual policing. And I mean, even like ideologically, right? Part of the project is allowing uh, and giving ourselves space to you know, critique and not say this is not a good time because so much is going on. That's, you know, that's, that's a big problem. So much is going on all the time. And so it's never a good time. Well, what, what, right?
0: what I worry about is that, that you know, and, and again, like I hate the police. If you were thinking about going out and fighting the police, you have my full support. Um, but what I worry about is that people get caught up in this moment after moment, after moment, after moment, and and don't realize like, you know, a political future doesn't come in moments that are handed to us, really. It, it, it comes from, like, the long, slow work of, I believe, building a party. And, mm-hmm. and uh, like, it's it, – I think, like you said or something earlier about shortcuts. I think a lot of people do think that there are shortcuts that will simply, like, piggyback on a movement that's already happen, happening. In fact, I wrote a book about it called No Shortcuts. Um, <laughs> but uh but there are no fucking shortcuts like you actually do have right. to like like you have to take a look at history and take a look at what's happening now and you have to apply the lessons of the past to the present right as much as you can and mm-hmm. you know being die be smart about it you know um and and i don't think a lot of people do that i think a lot of people kind of get caught up in this fervor and it's easy it's good to, I, I, I mean I, i'm not gonna say it's good i'm gonna say it's easy to get caught up in a fervor. Uh, everyone loves a fervor. We don't on the, we on the left here, we don't get as many fervors as those on the right do. And so, we, you know, we take them very preciously.
1: I mean, it felt great dancing out there in Oakland. Yeah. Of course it felt great being with people. Of course it felt great feeling like, uh, uh, you know, I don't, you know, of course, Absolutely. But I do think – so then I want to say this because on the flip side of what I'm saying about um, actionism is that there's also a perverse enjoyment that people have with saying that nothing will ever change. Oh, yeah. And it's almost like a, you know, I'll say a decadence that's been built in where you're trusting what the system has told you about itself, Right. Um, even if it's not explicit, that... So there is a sort of... Um, to have this blind faith that everything's a dead end, that nothing will change, has its own sort of optimism built into it, Yeah, right? It's And it's, it's not just that kind of, like, foreclosure on the future that Fisher talks about, but there's... It's almost like there's a... Yeah, it's a perverse enjoyment that I really want to push back on. Like, I, I don't think that we have to have wanton optimism, you know, or like, um, you know, cynical pessimism. Well, that, that's the thing. Although I think those are two I, different I, things. I encounter that.
0: I encounter both of those a lot. And And to deal with the pessimism, mm. it is... I've been sort of congealing around this theory. And I don't know why I keep using the word fucking congealing. Con- I've been thinking of this fucking new, a new Belden theory is that there are people out there that I, for lack of a better term, uh, are basically labor pessimists, right? Or worker pessimists mm. where, where it's, it's this sort of like, they forget that like as socialists, we do believe that like people can do are capable of incredible fe- I mean, they've overthrown governments in- incredibly powerful governments before. Uh, and to just foreclose, if you foreclose the possibility of that ever happening, you will never take the first step towards making that happen. And I think mm. that that's a lot of people are comfortable in that zone because if you don't believe in any possibilities, then no possibilities will ever present themselves to you. All possibilities there's no such thing as a possibility. You can just you can just fucking uh, shut the door on it no matter what. And I, I, I don't think that's true. I mean I, I, I am um, I'm not an optimist in that I think that like this we're going to overthrow the government in like a few riots in a few major cities. but I am an optimist in Mm-mm. thinking that the people doing those riots, if in other circumstances, could do it. because if I didn't believe that, then I wouldn't believe anything that I, any of my political <laughs> I wouldn't have any political mm-hmm. allegiance. I I would just purely be a nihilist, which is not attractive to me. Um I'm not moving to fucking Berlin to go to dance clubs and get drunk on the train. Uh although I will if if that possibility presents itself. But again, I'm not a nihilist, I'm an optimist. Um I don't know. I don't really know what I'm saying. You know, I don't I don't I tend to have these conversations in my head, so it's coming out kind of funny. But like I uh I don't know. I, I, I think that you have to believe in Possibilities, at least, and even though those possibilities aren't met often with real action, I, I it's there's still possibilities, and 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 I think that's what also feels so different around right now because I think people are seeing in these riots they are seeing the strength of people, right? The strength of people against mm. like a a, a militarized, uh, you know, in some places, you know, a, a lot of black neighborhoods. The, the fucking police are like an invading army. It's like what the Panthers used to call them. And it's true. And seeing people not overthrow that army, but fight that army. Ba- Badiou, whatever his fucking name is, talks about it in uh, one of these fucking essays he wrote on the Cultural Revolution. Alain Badiou. Uh, Alain Badu. Badu where, where he talks about revolutionary failures. And revolutionary failure, or not, or certain kinds of failures, not revolutionary failures. Uh, and and he talks about, like, ones that are basically defensive, which I think that this, this, this current happening can be characterized as essentially a defensive conflict um, of broad movements of disparate forces. I can't remember. I, I don't have it in front of me right now. I got to scroll up to it. Whatever. Um, but, th- but they, 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 they offer the person viewing them or the person participating in them the promise of possibilities, of just seeing people able mm. to engage with the state in a physical way. Uh, and, yeah. and even though that th- those aren't, like, horizons that are very near to us, they, they, you can still see them, like, as – you can see the, the, the faint outline of something beautiful. Um, and I don't know. I think that gives a lot of people uh, of, of my political persuasion – It makes them giddy in a way and giddy sometimes so much that they lose their head Uh, But I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this, but that's just how I feel So one quick thing, again, fellas, ladies, everybody else, I'm sorry, this episode's a little disjointed. I want it, but I want to make a couple of points here about the police. So you're seeing the call, you have seen a couple of calls, I call them the twin calls, uh, a phrase I um, coined several years ago uh, to describe two beautiful women who called me constantly. Um, oh, one God. of the calls is to defund the police and the other call is to abolish the police. Now, I believe defund the police is sort of growing in popularity, whereas abolish the police is still around, and you're going to see it a lot, um, but believe me, it's not going to catch on. So with defund the police, that is something that I absolutely believe, and that is what you would call a minimum demand. So there are two kinds of demands, two kinds. There is minimum demands and maximum demands. Minimum demands are the immediate demands that you're you're making upon the state to affect some sort of reform. Maximum demands are the kind of demands that you're making upon the government, which they cannot fulfill in a revolutionary situation, right? Like a abolition of the army, replace it with a people's militia, whatever. Defund uh, the police. I'm not going to spend as much time on this. I, I, I think it's a good idea. I, I, I found out, listen, I'm a Jew. I'm a money guy. Not good with it or uh, fond of it in any way, but natural, some sort of natural instinct towards it. When I found out that the LAPD was 50% of about to be 50% of fucking L.A.'s general fund, get the fuck out of here. That's incredible. Uh, and so I think fund the police, in, if done, and I, I will say I, I do like that most of the, the actual organized calls for this that I've seen have said defund the police, put the money in social services. And now the way budgets work, that is a possibility. I mean, mm. budgets work different from city to city.
1: Yeah. That's like, that's to me is like a very like key thing to stress and it doesn't make its way into the slogan, which it's is kind unfortunate, of, yeah. but it's like, very pithy. <laughs> I know because it's like, okay, you don't want to advocate for more austerity. Right. Cause it's, we should, you know, it's important to note that the states and the municipalities are fucked because of COVID, yeah. uh, budgetary wise, like budget wise, so it's like, no, you don't want to advocate for austerity, but you want to advocate for a shift in yeah. priorities. So it's not like you're
0: like, let's right? defund the police and stop these taxes, which I mean, thankfully you can't, I mean, you'd have to do like, well, I, again, it differs from place to place, but like in San Francisco, it's yeah. a very complicated budget, all these fucking set asides. However, it is possible. I, I will say a lot of people are going to have to put on their little reading glasses and figure out some line items to X out. Um but yeah, I think I think if a movement sort of emerges from this, that in one of the main points of it is to defund the police, I think, I, I do have optimism that that will be, people aren't just going to be like, defund the police, take the money away, whatever. I feel like that people will want to match it too. I mean, it's, I know in Chicago, which is one of the main cities that this is coming out of, especially with the no cop academy thing, you know, et cetera. That they were asking for the city, to, or pressuring the city to put that money in social services. The call to abolish the police, though. Let me get to that. So you might be thinking, Brace, don't you want to fucking abolish the police? Of course I want to abolish the police. I want to abolish the police and replace it with my coworkers. I'm not even kidding about, them. not these two, my old co-workers. Although these two I would give administrative positions sort of at the head so I could have some semblance of control over the force. Anyways, uh, If you think about police, a lot of people are like, well, we can have a society about police. Wrong! Wrong! Police didn't just, like, no one in fucking, like, 16... I don't know when they came up with America. 1776, 1612 Project, whatever. No, Those guys weren't just like, hey, listen to this fucking great idea came up with. Police. No. No. Police came about in the emergence of the state, baby. When in the fucking primitive man, some guys figured out how to do fucking different jobs... The the advent of class society brought the rise of the police because the way class society works is that there is a ruling class and the ruling class has a segment of the population that is separate from the rest of the general population that is armed and carries out its will. So the way that you see it right now or the way that it is in your society, if you listen to this in, in any Western country, any fucking country in the world, the police force of your country exists. Because there is a ruling class now, you cannot get rid of that. It you may change its form, you may change the way it looks or the way it talks or what it calls itself. There will be police. Now Lenin lays this out very clearly in State and Revolution. Even a fucking idiot like me can read it. Uh, but the police, I just want to stress, police are a reality in every class society because they enforce class rule. If there was no police, if there was no, and again, if you don't want to call them police, bobbies, whatever. If there was no segment of the population that was separate from the general population and armed then you could just overthrow the government. There would just be, you could just, it would be no problem, right? There would be, the ruling class wouldn't have any way to enforce its will. And by police, I mean police, prisons, army, et cetera, armed soldiers, you know, for lack of a better word. I mean, I, actually there's not lack of a better word. I just couldn't think of one. Uh, and so abolish the police. I will say a lot of these things, I looked at this fucking critical resistance flyer. That's like, this is the difference between police abolition and police like reformism. It's all reformism. You're not going to abolish the police. Now, I will say, we get to a revolutionary situation, I'm like, yeah, let's abolish the police and uh, replace it with mental health NGOs because fucking ice those guys, no problem. But it's, it's, I'm just telling you, it's not going to happen in, uh, in a class society. I'll tell you, once we, get, once we get to... People are like, socialism, no classes, wrong Socialism has a ruling class, it is just the working class. Now the difference between and again, sorry guys, I'm almost done. The difference between socialist police and capitalist police is socialist police is is the segment of the population that is armed represents for the first time in history a class a, a ruling class that is the broadest class in society. The, now, if you want to go abolition of police, you're like, oh, I want abolition of police. I can't get it. Why can't I get it? I'll tell you how you get it, brother. You are become a communist, and you work towards the abolition of all class societies. Because I'll tell you what, when socialism reaches the tire stage, we get to communism. No fucking classes anymore. No police. Bam.
1: All right. We got to get going with this episode because we're running long. Mm-hmm. And we're like delayed, I think. I don't know when our schedule is. Wow. I don't either. I feel like there was one. There's a, so I'm going to just there's a couple things I want to read here to end the episode. But one thing I feel like I forgot to mention, and I do want to mention this, is that like something that's lost from this story about George Floyd is that. He was arrested for using a counterfeit bill, which he used at a liquor store because he just lost his job because of COVID. So these things are all connected, right? And it's mm-hmm. important that what get, does not get lost from this narrative is that we live in a society that pushes people into these situations, that pushes people into the arms of the police, that pushes them out of society and into the police. Like I, uh, that has been completely absent from all discussion and that needs yeah. to come back to the f- forefront in my
0: mind. Like if George Floyd was uh, a wealthy man, if George Floyd wrote for the New Yorker, the New York times uh, he would not have died that day Yeah, because he wouldn't be using
1: a fucking counterfeit 20. So Continuing with my, you know, pessimist uh, or cautious pessimism, pessimism, not pessimism, that's not even the right word, caution, and also hopefulness, perhaps. Um, I, I think there's like important, some important things here. We mentioned Lenin and adventurism, and I think that that's like an impo- People need to understand the kind of danger with that, and and it not kind of perhaps yielding um...
0: results that you might find desirable.
1: Yes, thank you, Brace. So this is uh, him, 1902. Uh, I believe it's in revolutionary adventurism. <laughs> Great title, but uh, anyway. How well we know this language of people who are free of the constraint of firm socialist convictions, of the burdensome experience of each and every kind of popular movement. They confuse immediately tangible and sensational results with practicalness. To them, the demand to adhere steadfastly to the class standpoint and to maintain the mass nature of the movement is, quote, vague, quote, theorizing. In their eyes, definitiveness is slavish compliance with every turn of sentiment and, by reason of this compliance, inevitable helplessness at each turn. Demonstrations begin, and bloodthirsty words talk about the beginning of the end, flow from the lips of such people. The demonstrations halt, their hands drop helplessly, and before they have had time to wear out a pair of boots, they are already shouting, the people, alas, are still a long way off. Some new outrage is perpetrated by the Tsar's henchmen and they demand to be shown a quote definite measure that would serve as an exhaustive reply to the particular outrage, a measure that would bring about an immediate quote transference of strength and they proudly promise this transference. These people do not understand that this very promise to quote transfer strength constitutes political adventurism and that their adventurism stems from their lack of principle. So a little caution there.: Well, Lenin. Mm. Lenny, I call him.: But I don't want it to end on a dour note, because um, I don't. Yeah, and like, I, I want to be clear,
0: like, I hate the police.:
1: <laughs> I think <laughs> like, everyone is
0: well aware, brace. Yes, I fucking, I, I had, I they fucking, they they tossed me around, they fucking put, one said he was gonna fucking, he put a gun to me, he's like, i want to shoot yeah. you, well, not like to my head or nothing, but at me, in an alleyway off of fucking 16th, um, I've had almost uniformly negative encounters with the police, and so... It's like, we are, I, I don't want people to be reactive to this and be like, oh, you know, it's not like this full support that we're not like supporting or not supporting anyone for this. That's not the object of this episode. We're trying to analyze it to some extent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I just want
1: to put that out there. Yeah. So but this is, this quote. You read this to me earlier. I liked it a lot. Mm, so this is um, from China Mieville who wrote a piece in um, salvage, which is a, like a red journal. Um, This was in 2015 And this piece um, Where he develops a kind of theory Of what he calls social sadism Has stayed with me And basically haunted my thoughts For years now And I return to it very often But he ends the piece um, I think in, In a very optimistic fashion So I thought it appropriate for this Optimism of the will The principle of hope In the face of spite and history, there's a better category of the positive, perhaps, to recruit into radical theory, one that's rarer, that we don't need to strive a priori to sustain, and but that we know, even if for flecks of time in the worst times, we might experience, and that is joy. Property itself is everyday sadism. To see it overthrown, even for a moment, is to know that joy exists and to know that it is a material force. We build against sadism. We build to experience the joy of its every fleeting defeat, hoping for more joy, for longer each time, longer and stronger, until, perhaps, we hope for yet more. And you can't say it won't ever happen, that the ground won't shift, that it won't one day be the sadisms that are in battle, the sadisms that are fleeting, on a new substratum of something else, newly foundational, that the sadisms won't diminish or be defeated, that those for whom they are machinery of rule won't be done, that the idea of quotidian social sadism won't be unthinkable, there will be a new every day. 2006, Haiti. In the midst of attempts to tamper with the election of René Préval, the candidate of the poor, associated with the ousted Jean-Bertrand Aristide of the Lavalas Party, shortly after smoldering ballot boxes containing countless ballots are found in a dump outside Port-au-Prince, thousands of poor protesters rush into the luxury Montana Hotel. The Montana Hotel overlooks the slums. The people from the slums are watched by the UN peacekeepers, the forces so central to the multilaterous reign of terror on the island, who try and fail to keep them out. The protesters wave posters and chant as they take over the grounds. They explore. Now is the time, they chant. A helicopter evacuates guests noisily from the roof. The protesters climb trees. They lie at rest on the sun lounges. Most of the intruders, like so many in Haiti, lack running water. But on the 13th of February, the masses of the slums of Cite Soleil, including very many children, dive into the Hotel Montana pool and swim.
0: Well, thank you for joining us on this special episode of Truanon. Uh, my name is Brace. I'm Liz. We're joined by uh, producer Young Chopsky, does the music too, and uh...
1: Well we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Let's check Jeffrey